Walter Balfour, the team of Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, or I should say the guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, is eventually uh, Duke right-hander and uh, top draft prospect Michael Machuela. Uh, he is to come uh, in the future, in the near future. and the even more near future, however, uh, we have here also uh, Kyla McDaniel, who is the one who interviewed Michael Machuela. Kyla, you are there. Yes, I was there, uh, and in keeping with the Fangraphs audio policy, you're not allowed to talk to players anymore, so I had to handle this. That's true. Yeah, well, more than just Fangraphs uh, policy, I think the legal <laughs> system has weighed in on that. But uh, more on that later. Uh, Michael Metruella is a, uh, right, as I say, a right-hander at Duke. Um, when when did his, and he's a draft prospect as well, where, where is he currently uh, ranked on your list? I don't know. I believe he was somewhere in the 20s. That sounds like about where I'm doing a new ranking for Monday. And I believe, yeah, I believe he'll end up somewhere around 20 to 25 area. Right. And his ranking is of uh, some interest, perhaps, because he is a sort of pitcher. Uh, He was one of the top pitchers in this draft at one point. uh, But like some other top pitchers, he has found himself injured. Yes, and he's a bit of a not just your typical, uh, you know, Jeff Hoffman or uh, Lucas Giolito case where it's everything's great. He's been seen a lot. He gets hurt, and then he'll be back in nine months and be throwing 98 again, no problem. Because it, it seems like, especially judging from Twitter and the comments on the articles, that's what everyone assumes that Tommy John means these days. Because they saw, you know, Jeff Hoffman is a potential one-one guy. He gets Tommy John. He's back on the mound throwing 98 in less than a year. I think that's the expectation now. Now, Matchwell doesn't have the sort of at least buzz of complications in his elbow that uh, Brady Aiken has. It is a straightforward elbow, should be, you know, back to where he was and everything. And all of his velo, uh, as he says in the interview, kind of backing up a little bit this spring, uh, it was already sore at that point. So all of his trouble can be pointed to that. However, as we also cover, there was a back issue uh, that caused him to not pitch over the summer and then also the fall that some teams don't have their sort of, like when you're sort of, uh, if I'm talking uh, uh, sort of just off the top of my head with like a scouting director or a cross-checker, they'll be like, oh yeah, he's got the elbow and he's got the back. And as he explains, the back was sort of like, uh, I think I've compared it to some people as sort of diabetes where it's like you get it, but then you figure out how to manage it and it's not really a problem once you figure it out. And it sounds like he's figured out how to sort of manage that issue. It was just unfortunate for him that the perception is once he started throwing hard, he got hurt. And then he started throwing hard again, and then he had the back thing, and then he started throwing hard again, and then he got the elbow thing. And so there's a perception, which may be true, that his body can't handle throwing this hard, but none of these things were technically like related to each other. It was uh, a lat thing, and then a back thing that got solved, the lat thing got solved, and now it's an elbow thing that's getting solved. And so he's never thrown at 100% for more than like 30 or 40 innings at a time. Uh, but it isn't to, to suggest that he can't possibly do that. We're just at the stage in his career where it's early enough. He's only been throwing this hard for like a year and change. And so th- there is a little extra uh, uh, risk involved in projecting him to just go right back to where he was because of the roadblocks he's had. Uh, but like I said, we're not sure if those are necessarily related or his body's telling him, I can't do this. Uh, it's just sort of unfortunate the timing that that sort of obscures that question during draft time. Now, there is some discussion of his velocity and at the, those points at which his velocity jumped. Uh, and it seems as though it started um, his freshman year at Duke. He, he discusses a, a conversation he had with the, the Duke coaching staff where um, he had suggested that his interest at that time as a young pitcher was uh, getting, getting the most out of an easy delivery. And I think that the Duke coaching staff uh, said something defective. No, actually, we want you to throw 
throw it as hard as you can. Go for it. Yeah, and we talked off air that I, I feel like that's not a piece of advice that gets mentioned in these sort of post-draft sort of fluff interviews very often uh, because that's sort of the advice you get in high school or early college to, no, let's, you know, let's do like a full max effort delivery. Just see what you can do, and then we'll kind of make adjustments from there. Let's work with what you're sort of physically capable of. And I feel like some for some athletes, that's like their first instinct is to throw as hard as they can, and then you have to sort of reel them in. And I think some athletes that are a little uh, smoother and more athletic or maybe you're better students of the game and sort of see what the, you know, the Greg Maddoxes of the world are doing. They're like, oh, let me keep it under control is their first instinct. And, you know, typically that isn't happening, you know, six months before the draft, so you don't hear anyone talk about it. Uh, but that is a thing that needs to happen for some guys. And, yeah, he's an example of, oh, you're big and strong and your arm moves fast. Let's see how fast it can move before we start trying to dial things down. Right, and he cites um, he cites uh, one moment, I think it was the start at Binghamton, uh, that he he relates to you, uh, at which he he started throwing. I think it was he started hitting 98 during that start, and it's an interesting moment. Uh, it's not one you typically um, uh, see, where it's an athlete reflecting, being almost surprised at the uh, at the sort of at, at witnessing the limits of his body. Right, he throws 98, and he himself is surprised about this to some degree. Surprised at the ball, the feeling of the ball coming out of his hand, even though you know he's been pitching for years leading up to that moment. Yeah, and that's something I'm curious about because that's like sort of the specific thing I've never experienced before, where you go from being pretty good to very good to whoa, I'm like professional good. Like you know, people are like coming to see me. I'm so good, which is you know that one hasn't happened to me before. So that's always something I'm interested in, especially because he went from almost completely anonymous throwing in the mid '80s in high school to like on the big stage throwing in the mid nineties and touching 98 in like a two year period. And I feel like usually that's a longer, uh, a longer climb that if you're in the mid eighties as a senior in high school, you're usually not throwing hard until, you know, maybe the end of college or maybe it's one of those guys in pro ball where things kind of come together. So yeah, the fact that that seemed to have been a little bit compressed, uh, was interesting to me. Notable. Yeah. And uh, you talked about the perceptions, uh, maybe among scouts, organizations, uh, Regarding Machuela's injury and the the pairing of the back and the elbow injury, uh, he he might or might not be uh, fighting another sort of perception, which is that of the intelligent athlete. Um, as as people will see here, he's able to articulate his his approach and his development uh, pretty clearly. Like he utters sentences like, "I'll walk you through that time timeline." Which is like, just like the amount of self-awareness one has to have. It's just not – it's not one that you necessarily find among young athletes. Um, and, you know, he, he has a favorite director, for example. He knows that Christopher Nolan has produced many movies that he like. – it's not exactly the – you know, it's not the, the typical jock profile necessarily. Um, but you, you suggest that maybe there is uh, – sometimes it's difficult for athletes who are intelligent. To, it's maybe scary for scouts or organizations. Yeah, I, I, uh, I guess I'd never articulate it in such a way. When we talked about it off air, I said if a, if a dumb player fails, it's because he's not good enough. And if a smart player fails, it's because he's thinking too much. And it's sort of looked at as one of them is, oh, you're just not good enough. It's not your fault. You can't do this. But if you're smart, it's, oh, you're inside your own head. You're thinking too much, which I think is a little bit of the maybe more football mentality, sort of the, you know, the, the warrior, uh, whatever kind of thing you want to talk about where, you know, football coach screams at you because you're, you're thinking too much. That's going to make you think more. Um, and I, I, 
yeah, I think that's interesting. I think obviously it gives you a higher upside if you're able to think about what you're doing, but I think it also gives you a lower floor because there's a possibility you could have all of the physical elements but then sort of undermine yourself by being too aware of what you're doing. And I think that may have been, you know, some of the explanation for why he wasn't trying to throw as hard as he could in high school because I think he was immediately trying to go to the, you know, the Greg Maddox thing instead of trying to explore his physical capabilities where I feel like the the dumb player may be more, you know, more likely to do the max effort thing uh, but then also may not be able to make those adjustments in double A when you got to start studying the hitters and sort of knowing their tendencies and stuff. That may not be something he's as capable of doing as the smart player is. Right. Well, he and he also cites you mentioned Greg Maddox. He he cites specifically Roy Halladay uh, as a model for him. Not necessarily in terms of his mechanics, but in terms of uh, Roy Halladay's approach and the way he dealt with adversity as a as a young player in the majors who had to go all the way down to A ball. Yeah, and I feel like one of the the two things Halliday's most known for is, one, getting to the big leagues, getting a decent extension, and then getting sent back to the minors and having to redo it. But also I think his sort of uh, – his sort of uh, the reason he succeeded was a combination of uh, command and the ability to uh, manipulate the ball with his fingers to create a lot of different pitches and variations of pitches. So it's almost like he clearly had the size and the arm speed. That's what got him there in the first place and got him that extension. But then that sort of second act of figuring out ex- the best way to leverage that ability through sort of tinkering and hard work ethic. And he's sort of known for being a, you know, a hard worker in the offseason and all that and figuring out all these sort of different variations of pitches and adjustments and learning hitters. Like he sort of, I guess, is almost known for both of those things separately. And was able to bring them together, and also was a taller right-hander. So it kind of makes sense. I guess I guess he lucked out that he was a Phillies fan that grew up in that area that he had Roy Halladay there to point to as an example. Right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to that interview. How about that? Yeah. Why don't we shut up already? Why don't we shut up? All right. That is. Uh, I've just spoken with Kyla McDaniel, of course, the lead prospect analyst. Thank you, Kylie. Uh, and you're welcome. We are moving on now to uh, Kylie's uh, conversation with uh, Duke right-hander, uh, first-round draft prospect Michael Machuela on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. pitcher were you were you back then yeah i went to high school at georgetown prep uh up in bethesda maryland um definitely a different type of pitcher uh a lot more methodical um really just thinking a lot more on the mound which didn't really help me have a ton of success because uh, when you're, you're thinking about things everything tends to get out of whack um so yeah I, I was a totally different pitcher very different mentality uh, definitely not, not not a good mentality, which which definitely changed once I got to Duke. Uh, working with Coach C and Coach Pollard definitely helps me uh, to become a more aggressive pitcher and to really just improve everything about me as a pitcher. And roughly, how hard were you throwing then? Uh, I was mostly a middle eighties pitcher, probably getting it up to around eighty eight or so, uh, but really not nothing special velocity wise. And physically, I'm guessing you were still tall, but maybe not quite as filled out, maybe a little more awkward? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was uh, about 6'5 my junior year, 6'6 senior year, uh, but somewhere in that 200-pound range, maybe 205 uh, at my highest in, in high school. Did you, I'm guessing they wanted you to play basketball if you were 6'6 walking around, right? Uh, I well, When I was uh, my first few years at, at prep, uh, I had some people trying to get me to come out to play. I actually played my freshman year, and I decided after 
uh, that year is over, that I was going to focus on baseball, that baseball is what I wanted to do. Uh, and if I had a, if I had a future in something, it was, it was going to be baseball. Uh, but <laughs> that sophomore year, I think I had uh, the JV coach at least uh, talking to my dad, trying to get me to, to come play. And he was, he was reaching out to me, trying to get me to play. But uh, I was set on baseball. I mean, it's what I love to do. So you go to Duke, and at least from my perspective, I kind of focus on like the top few round guys. You're kind of under the radar for me as a freshman. Had did anything change during your freshman year for you? Were, were you like putting on weight, changing your pitches, changing your approach, things like that? Freshman year, there, there was a lot going on with me, and then there was also a pretty big difference between freshman year me and sophomore year me. Uh, so I'll, I'll just take it from the beginning, I guess. Um, Coach Pollard and Coach C, I sat down to talk with them because they weren't the ones uh, that recruited me. I was recruited by the old coaching staff. And so when I got on campus back in August, uh, we sat down with them, my family, and all the coaches that so we kind of get to know each other. And they're asking me a little bit uh, about pitching, about my philosophy. And basically I remember saying uh, one phrase that, that they looked at each other weirdly and I couldn't understand why at the time. But I said I wanted to get the most out of my motion with the least effort. And they kind of looked at each other, like, kind of, like, puzzled, like, what the heck is this kid talking about? Uh, and then that fall, uh, they really worked with me on being uh, a lot more aggressive with my motion. So really simplifying the mentality. Because um, when I, I was thinking a lot, like I said, back in high school, and they basically just told me to see the, the sign, see the target, and throw the ball as hard as I can through that target. Um, and simplifying that mentality really helps me. Um, not only improve my velocity, but vastly improving uh, my command, which was definitely the, the issue for me back in high school. Um, so simplifying the mentality, kind of even things out for me. It, it took all the, the thinking out of the equation. Instead, just made me a much more aggressive pitcher, moving faster down the mound, making my arm move a little faster. And doing that kind of forced my arm to get up and everything timed itself up, uh, which was nice. And, uh, of course, I, I was working out and I was putting on some weight there. But uh, the, the weight gaining aspect and the physical aspect kind of took place for me the summer after my freshman year going into sophomore year um, where I got a lot stronger, uh, got a lot bigger, and that's when I kind of noticed another velocity jump. Um, once I stepped back on the campus in the fall, um, the ball was just exploding out of my hand, and uh, I kept working at it uh, with uh, maintaining that simple mentality and working as hard as I could in the weight room and nutritionally to, to make sure I'm putting on the right kind of weight. Uh, and the velocity kept climbing. And so uh, those two things, that the uh, mentality and uh, the physical training, I think were really instrumental for me becoming a much better pitcher. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I, I think it was the fall before your sophomore year is when I heard there's a big kid throwing 96 at Duke. I want to go look into this. And then during that, the spring of your sophomore year, I was up in North Carolina seeing another tournament and didn't have a game on Sunday, and you were coming off the off of a lat injury and I went to go see you, and I think you were 94 to 98 for, like, three straight innings, and it was, like, 40 degrees when you faced North Carolina. And I was sitting there with a couple scouts and a couple writers. We're all looking at each other like, this is way better than we thought it would be. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it seemed like there was a, a good bit of attention. Like, I don't think necessarily a lot of scouts were going in to see you specifically because you weren't draft eligible that year. Uh, right. But there was a lot of buzz around you at that point. So uh, you mentioned sort of putting on the weight – and uh, and sort of the confidence from uh, sort of changing the mentality. Was there were there other things you were changing there, uh, like the different pitches or command or approach to pitching, or was that all sort of was already okay? You needed to work out that other stuff. 
the, my freshman year, I was actually only a two-pitch guy. I was a four-seam fastball and a slider, and that's not going to be really conducive to long-term success as a starter. So I picked up a two-seam fastball instead of the four-seam. Uh, out of the curveball uh, that fall, and the changeup was was kind of a work in progress for a long time. And I actually didn't figure that out until uh, basically towards the end of my sophomore uh, spring. Uh, and I remember actually it was against Miami. Basically during the, my pregame bullpen, I kind of felt it click, and actually it became a pretty good pitch for me that game and for the rest of the year. Uh, and then I kept working on that, um, and it became a, a good pitch for me this year. So basically, two pitch guy my freshman year, and became mostly a three. But towards the end of the the season, a four pitch guy my sophomore year. And uh, that was something I heard from scouts that saw you this year. Just jumping ahead a little bit is I think when I saw you, it was fastball curveball change, and then I heard more guys mentioning a slider uh, this year. And some of them weren't sure if it was four distinct pitches or if the slider was sort of. Uh, running into the curveball at times. It, I mean, do you sort of see one of those as a clear fourth pitch that you use least often or one that you like better? Because I know a lot of times when guys sign, the team will have them drop one of the breaking balls to kind of simplify things. Yeah, I would say I, I like a particular pitch uh, better between the fast, between the, the curveball and the slider. Uh, I think, for me, the, the curveball is typically the more swing and miss pitch, although the slider at times can be that pitch because obviously you're not going to have all your pitches working on a particular day. Uh, so it kind of varied, but I think the reason that they might get a little blended is that the lower end of my slider, like velocity-wise, is kind of the upper end of the curveball. So it's kind of it's kind of like there's not a distinct difference, but they do move a little differently. I do feel like the curveball is a little sharper, a little more break, and a little bit later, which is typically why it's a more of a swing and pitch. Uh, but I feel totally comfortable throwing both those pitches. And you mentioned before, especially in high school, that you were thinking on the mound too much. Where are you sort of mentally on the mound now? Are you... Uh, maybe like doing research on guys or trying to remember the guys you faced before, or is it more going after them with what your best stuff is and you'll adjust later if they're hitting it? Yeah, it's exactly what you just said, just going after them with my best stuff. I know that I'm confident that I can get anyone out uh, with the stuff that I have, um, just controlling what I can control, uh, and that's just making sure that uh, I do my best to execute every single pitch because uh, I know that if I do that, then I'm going to have uh, a lot of success. So uh, summer after your sophomore year comes up and there's sort of the decision if you want to go Team USA or Cape Cod League or take the summer off, uh, and you opted to take the summer off from pitching, and then at some point after that it kind of came out that there was a back issue. I guess sort of walk me through that decision and sort of the back issue as you sort of experienced it. Yeah, um, well, I'll, I'll kind of backtrack a little bit. So I had that lap strain my first outing of uh, my sophomore year, and when I came back from that, it was a lower lap strain to begin with, um, so when I came back, it, it didn't quite feel right. Um, but it really wasn't anything that was inhibiting me from pitching. Uh, but I, I was not pitching to, to the best of my abilities by, by any measure, um, kind of because of that. But, uh, yeah, so I just thought it was kind of like the lat lingering a little bit. It turned out to be the best and we kind of, we found that out after the season had ended. So we decided to be best if I take the summer off, just make sure I get healthy. Um, ended up running into the, to the fall to make sure that, uh, the core strength was where it needed to be. I actually got on a, a core program called the Watkins uh, Trunk Stability Program towards the end of the summer, and, and I was working on that all fall. Uh, it was a pretty intense program, to say the least. Uh, it took me probably anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours each day, uh, five days a week, to make sure I'm getting the core strength uh, up to where it needs to be so that the back becomes a non-issue. And I got it to that point, and the back's a total non-issue now, which is great. 
So, yeah, I was going to say, I know from talking to scouts that, like, haven't necessarily had their in-depth conversations about, you know, where they want to take you or anything yet, because I think that sort of happens a couple weeks from now. They just sort of casually mentioned, like, oh, he's got the elbow and he's got the back. And I had sort of heard from people that are paying a little closer attention, maybe the area scouts that are in more uh, contact with you, that the back is in the rear view. It's a thing that happened, but that it, it sounds like the, what, the core stability stuff you're talking about sort of – uh, made that a manageable issue as opposed to like an ongoing thing. Yeah, exactly. The the programs I know I have to do for the rest of my life just to make sure that uh, there are no future flare ups. But uh, yeah, it's a total non issue for me. I didn't feel it at all uh, on the mountain this spring uh, or towards uh, the end of the fall when I started throwing again. Uh, but yeah, it, it's really it's not an issue at all. It's it's totally manageable. So when you start throwing again in sort of the winter and early spring, and a lot of scouts haven't seen you yet, they're coming in to see scrimmages and some of your early spring outings. How are you feeling at that point getting back on the mound? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely exciting being back on the mound after taking the summer off and missing uh, the entire fall season. Uh, so I was just excited to get back up there, and uh, everything was feeling good. Uh, the arm was feeling good. Everything was, was, was and overall, just feeling great. Uh, so I was just excited to take the mound again and start throwing to, to batters. Uh, basically. And like I said, a lot of scouts hadn't hadn't seen you at that point, and I had seen what sounds like a pretty good version of you against UNC your sophomore year. And then when I talked to scouts that saw you early this year, they reported back that it's, you know, 90 to 94, maybe hit some fives early, and then things would kind of tail off a little bit toward the end, which is understandable because you weren't uh, stretched out yet. And I was telling him, no, that's he's a, he can be better than that. There's a little more in there. And so for the first, I don't know, what is it, five or six starts of the season, it sounded like the you were still sort of ramping up a little bit. Is that was that how you were experiencing it, or was it just not quite coming out the same way? Uh, I think kind of the, the elbow stuff was was the reason for that. And I think also I was still ramping it up, but I'll kind of walk you through that timeline a little bit, uh, where I started feeling it. Um, after my last annual squad outing, uh, which was February 6th, I believe, uh, well, I actually didn't feel anything on the mound, but I, like when I was done, uh, doing my post work, like the dumbbells and the bends and the stretches and all that kind of stuff, I could really feel it tightening up on me. And then it was bugging me for the next couple of days, but that Wednesday before, uh, opening day for me, basically I woke up and it went away. So I was happy. Um, but then against Cal, uh, I could feel it tightening up as the game was going on. Actually, so it was harder for me to get loose. Um, which would kind of explain like the quicker velocity drop off for whatever reason. So we went to get it checked out and, uh, they said the UCL is as healthy as it can be for a pitcher. It looks great. Um, and so that, that was really nice for me, kind of a peace of mind, but, uh, it really never went away, I would say. Um, I was never pitching 100%, um, this season, which, which is unfortunate, but it was actually, I, I was pitching against Pitt and I was feeling as, as good as I had felt. Uh, in a pretty long time, and that was the best my velocity was uh, in a long time. And for whatever reason, the third to last pitch, I, I felt it. Um, I didn't feel any sort of pop, but it, it definitely didn't feel normal. It got got painful. And so I threw three pitches with it, and so I thought, you know, the UCL's fine. We had this MRI five weeks ago. And uh, it was I wasn't really too worried about it. But it was bugging me uh, all that next week, and I had to kind of abbreviate uh, each each day for my throwing. I was throwing at lighter uh, distances with, with less intensity. Basically, it's kind of saving up and hoping that I would wake up on, on Friday and uh, feel like I did that Wednesday before opening day where it was just magically gone. And, uh, and that wasn't quite the case. And uh, D.C. was not the best outing for me because I guess I was kind of pitching with a, with a partially torn 
UCL all game, and then that fifth inning, I think it completely went because there was one pitch where uh, I, didn't, I didn't feel any sort of pop or hear any pop, but it went from manageable to like I, I literally couldn't throw a strike with my fastball, so I kind of resorted to off speed that inning, and uh, yeah, that went to the doctor on on Monday, and uh, he broke in the news, and here I am now, six weeks out of surgery, doing great. And I know the, yeah, I guess you're rehabbing the elbow now, and I guess that's unfortunately become sort of uh, common for guys that throw hard at a young age these days, that it's, you know, anywhere from 9 to 18 months, depending on sort of how quickly you bounce back. Are you sort of, I guess, what's your sort of mental state going through this, I guess, rehab process you haven't gone through before? Is it sort of frustrating and sort of hard to see sort of the light at the end of the tunnel, or is it more just a motivation to sort of prove that that you can be healthy for an extended period? I definitely think it was it was frustrating for I mean the day I got the news and the next day after that I was pretty upset uh, emotionally as you can imagine but once that second day went by it was I'm focusing on what I need to do surgery is, is going to be uh, the choice here and I'm going to get this done I'm going to do everything I can uh, to come back a better pitcher once I come back and I, I have no doubt in my mind that I'm going to be a better pitcher a stronger pitcher with my arm in the best shape that it's ever been uh, at about that that year mark at a surgery. Uh, and so like, yeah, I guess I guess it brings us to where we are now. Uh, I guess taking it back one step all, way back to, uh, the high school versus, uh, college sort of transition. Mm-hmm. I, I've never been a very good pitcher before, but I can only imagine going from throwing in the mid eighties to the mid nineties in like the course of what was it, about two years must be a pretty exciting mm-hmm. feeling to feel the difference of the way it's coming out of your hand at that point. Was that one of those things where you just throw a pitch and you know it's different and you know it's much better, or did somebody kind of have to tell you what was happening? Uh, I would say my freshman year, I didn't feel like anything was, like, really exploding out of my hand. I mean, even though I did get up to 95 my freshman year, which is still a huge jump from uh, my senior year of high school. But the first time I really felt like, like wow, like I'm throwing hard was uh, last year against Binghamton when uh, I hit 98 a couple times and, I remember just, just the ball coming out of my hand, and next thing I know, it's in the glove, and I was like, dang, I'm throwing really hard right now. This feels really good. I mean, it's definitely a cool feeling, uh, getting it up there and like having the ball explode out of the hand like that, for sure. Is there a pitcher you, a pitcher you like to model your game after? Uh, I wouldn't say I, I model my game after anyone, uh, but you know, I don't think it's like necessary for me to try to emulate anyone. But Roy Halladay is the pitcher I absolutely most look up to. Uh, sad to see him retire uh, recently, but just the way he went about his business, the confidence he exuded on the mound. Every time he took the mound, you know that the team was in a good position to win. Um, you knew that no matter what situation he was in, he was going to get out of it. And I especially like uh, the work ethic uh, that he had. You read all these articles. Um, I- I've read this one, the Sports Illustrated article, What Makes Roy Run, probably 10 times or so, because I find it really motivational. Um, that a guy like him, first round pick of the high school, makes it up to the majors, uh, has a pretty good first year, and then all of a sudden he he just totally falls apart and drops all the way down to single A. And I think for a lot of people, that's that's kind of it. Like that's a really tough uh, mental injury to to sustain. To to sustain, and he was able to emerge out of that as arguably the greatest pitcher of the generation. And he was on my my, my favorite Phillies. I was actually a Phillies fan growing up, a uh, pretty diehard Phillies fan when I was younger. So I really enjoyed watching all of his stuff, and I still watch clips of him on YouTube to this day, just to kind of kind of watch like what he did and just how he went about his business. I really like that. Uh, any plans on uh, what to do on draft day? Because you just watch from home, I would guess. Yeah, I'll just be at my house with my parents, not holding any sort of party or anything. 
Uh, and do you have any interest beyond baseball? I know Duke isn't easy academically, so I'm guessing you've. <laughs> I'm guessing you don't have an easy major. You're not doing uh, some sort of blow off classes. I'm guessing. Yeah, no, I'm an economics major. Uh, right now, at this point in my life, I'm just focusing on on baseball. It's what I want to do with my life, and I hope the right opportunity presents itself uh, in, in a couple weeks here, to the point where I can start pursuing my professional career. Uh, anything you do pregame uh, each time you pitch, as far as music or food or just sort of general routine? Uh, I don't have really any sort of ritual like that. I, I kind of like to keep things loose. Where um, I mean, for me, I, I find that I'm a better pitcher when I'm a lot more relaxed. And I'm not like just like laser focused before the game. But once I take the mound, of course, like it's a laser focused kind of thing. But, but I, I like to just try to kind of joke around. I don't have any sort of particular music that I listen to. Um, I don't have like, any set playlist, any set way of putting on clothes, anything like that. I don't really believe in that kind of stuff. Um, I, I would say kind of joking around and hanging out uh, on the bench before I take them out each game. Yeah, I think people like to imagine pitchers and lefties specifically eat the same meal before every game and don't talk to him. He's got to listen to these five songs, and then he eats eight Twinkies in the dugout in between innings. You, <laughs> you don't have any of that weird stuff going on? No, I, I honestly can say I've tried that, uh, and that was in high school, and I think that got me – just like, just did a total mental funk where I was putting too much pressure on myself. Um, where I tried, like, don't talk to me. Like, if anyone talks to me, I'm going to ignore them. Like, I want to totally focus on what's going on. Like, like, as soon as it's game day, as soon as, like, that, as soon as I'm on the field hours before game time, like, don't talk to anyone. That, that doesn't work for me at all. Um, where I have to be a lot more relaxed and a lot more, uh, loose and, and that'll help me get in a better mental state. Last thing I like to ask, uh, any TV shows, movies, anything like that? You're, uh, Top of mind or uh, enjoying at the moment? Uh, I'm a big Game of Thrones guy. I actually got into that last summer, and I, I got caught up uh, watching all four seasons last summer, and I'm following this year. I really am not much into TV shows besides that one. That's probably the only one I've ever kind of religiously watched besides 24 back. back how, how many years ago that was? That was probably about 10 years ago. Um, but movies, I, I'm a big movie guy. Um, love the Dark Knight trilogy. Love, like, Inception. A lot of Christopher Nolan stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Austin Powers in terms of comedy, but that's probably my favorite comedy, uh, trilogy of all time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always watching movies. I feel like it's a good way to pass the time. Gotta take a mental break. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's all I got. I feel like we've, uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. So, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we have. and, and I'll, and I'll say a lot, a, a lot of scouts will say that it's almost easier to be a baseball player if you're dumb. Because then you're not thinking about stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But I find a lot of the best ones are actually pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. And and since you have some of the same interests as me, of course, everyone's going to think you're smart. So, <laughs> so so thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, I'm sure we'll check back with you at some point in Pro Bowl and see how things are going. And uh, hopefully you can get on the mound healthy as soon as possible. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Kylie. Yep. Have a good one.